Welcome to season 2 episode 2 of Mumble Wumble the Harry Potter podcast. I'm Prashanthini and I'm Aishwarya. This podcast features us discussing the Harry Potter books event by event. We are right now on book 2 Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Today's episode is called Ron Misses the Train. We'll be covering chapter 3 The Burrow, chapter 4 At Flourish and Blots and chapter 5 The Whomping Willow. Let's start with the summary. After they escape from the Dursleys, Harry fills Ron, Fred and George in on all the events so far. They suspect that Dobby might have just been sent by another student to mess with Harry. As dawn breaks, they land at the burrow home to the Weasleys. The plan is to sneak in and pretend Harry arrived in the morning, but a furious and frightened Mrs. Weasley catches them red-handed and lets off some steam by yelling at them. She makes breakfast for the lot and sets them on to denoming the garden. Mr. Weasley arrives just as they finish and he gets his fair share of yelling too. He apologizes but it's clear that his excitement at the car works is greater than his guilt or fear. A month passes and Harry's never been happier. Everyone likes him which makes the borough automatically more appealing than private drive. They receive their Hogwarts letters one day and make plans to rendezvous with Hermione in Diagon Alley. The travel method of choice is flu powder but things go awry when Harry mumbles his destination and the flu misunderstands him delivering him to the wrong grate Nocturne Alley. Harry finds himself inside a dark evil looking shop not wanting to be seen he hides in a cabinet and overhears a conversation between Draco Malfoy's father Lucius Malfoy and the shop owner Harry leaves after the Malfoys do and ends up running into Hagrid who takes him to Gringotts to rejoin the Weasleys After withdrawing money they wander through several magical stores before eventually ending up at Flourish and Blots to buy school books Gilroy Lockhart is signing copies of his autobiography but when he catches sight of Harry he takes the opportunity to take a picture with him and announce that he'll be the new defense against the dark arts teacher. The Malfoys enter the bookshop as well and make a series of disparaging statements about the Weasley's financial situation which ends in a fist fight between Mr Weasley and Mr Malfoy. The men are separated by Hagrid. They say goodbye to Hermione and head back to the burrow. The summer flies by and soon it's time to head to Hogwarts. The night before they enjoy a big meal and go to bed happy. The next morning however is pure chaos with six children preparing their luggage for school. Unsurprisingly they arrive at King's Cross with only 15 minutes to spare. Harry and Ron wind up being the last ones to go through the barrier except they can't because the wall closes up and refuses to let them through. And that's how Ron ends up missing the train. So the point where we stopped last time when the weasley twins and ron come save harry is a good parallel between this book and the previous book because it's like the real story starts when harry is saved from the dursleys both <laughs> times interestingly i was reading the spark notes for this chapter and in that they mentioned that this is a transition scene that's actually seen several times in the harry potter books mm. that the real story always starts when harry leaves the dursleys mm. until then it's a filler situation that's usually used to deliver like info dumps mm. and uh, foreshadows things that's going to happen but the real story starts when he leaves yeah it's just a nice reminder to know that harry is still a normal boy even though we see all this wonderful things happening to harry we should still pity him and like him as a character because there are some parts of his life that are not pleasant when harry describes every everything that happened with toby the house elf to the weasley brothers fred and george are like very fishy said fred finally Definitely dodgy, agreed George. For some reason this is something that I that I always have in mind. It's like when someone says something that's really 
that's fishy. <laughs> I'm like very fishy, definitely dodgy. <laughs> but they bring up a very interesting point that Harry was very quick to believe Dobby when he said that he he was doing all of those things just to save Harry from something dangerous. But Fred and George say that it could also be someone playing a prank on Harry. That Dobby could have been sent by someone to lie to Harry and stop him from coming back to school. Knowing what they know, which is that house elves usually belong to very old wizarding families with a lot of money and property. They ask Harry who he thinks are possible suspects for this and only one name comes to mind. Draco Malfoy. (laughs) The Weasley brothers also take this time to fill Harry in about everything that's been going on and why they decided to come rescue him. They talk a lot about the Weasley's father, Mr. Weasley, because... The Weasley brothers seem to know that Harry got an official warning from the Ministry for using magic. And that's because... Their father works in the Ministry of Magic. Yeah. In the Improper Use of Muggle Artifacts office. Yeah. Which is very interesting. You'd think that it's giving us insight into what kind of a person the father is. But it also gives us more education about something called the Ministry of Magic. And also, what are the things that they govern. like And what they care about also. Yeah. It's mainly to do with secrecy. But also to do with coexisting with muggles without causing harm. Yeah, it definitely gives us a lot of insight into Mr. Weasley because his day job is about making sure that wizards who enchant muggle artifacts don't end up passing them on to muggles so that incidents don't happen. Like with, and I the, mean, the tea set they talk about. Yeah, and the shrinking key. Key and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But he's also someone who comes home and tinkers with a car and enchants it so that it flies. <laughs> Yeah. Do as I say and not do as I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that he's such a geek. In the in these chapters, we see many instances where his geekiness just like comes out even if he tries to rein it in. At the most inappropriate places also. When Harry is really nervous later on to try the flu powder and he says that he took the the underground last time. Mr. Mr. Weasley gets like, really where excited. Where there escapators... <laughs> He's like, what is the function of a rubber duck? <laughs> then the four of them arrive at the burrow and they are like, touchdown. The word touchdown is derived from either American football or rugby uh, rugby or from spacecrafts. They are the only two places in the muggle world where they say touchdown. And these are things that are very alien to magical people. Yeah. So I wonder where these guys got that Do you think they play... From. They play football or like soccer with the muggle boys in the village. So they'd be able to... That'll be really interesting. And I also thought maybe touchdown is also the word for when you demote a broom. Like when when you fly... Touchdown. I mean, when you fly close to the ground and you stop. Yeah, that's possible. Possible. But I won't put it past Fred and George to know these things because they also know little muggle tricks. Like they know how to open a lock with hairpins and all that. That's true. And I love how Harry describes the burrow. It looked as though it had once been a large stone pig pen, but extra rooms had been added here and there until it was several stories high and so crooked it looked as though it were held up by magic. I love Harry for even... Basically understanding that Ron probably wants his approval on things like this and he's like, it's brilliant. Yeah. Harry definitely thinks it's brilliant because look at where he came from. Yeah. I mean, he does compare it to Private Drive and he thinks that this is the... I mean, there is beauty in chaos. Yeah. I believe in that even when I live in chaos. (laughs) No, and I definitely think a home can be beautifully ordered, Mm. but 
it feels like home only when it's chaotic yeah like everything it's nice when things are in place but also you need the cushions on the floor sometimes yeah yeah i love the name also the, the burrow. burrow i i wonder what it means like how did the name come out to be i think there is some similarity between this and lot of things where bilbo baggins house is also called something right baggins baggins i don't know these names sound very comforting yeah. like compared to malfoy manor <laughs> that sounds so that sounds sad. like the weight of it is bearing down on you that yeah. at first it's a manor and second it's like it's home to the malfoy family whereas the borough sounds like it could be your home also mm. like it's not reminding you that it belongs to someone else exactly yeah <laughs> but can i just say that their plan to speak harry in is ridiculous at best <laughs> did they really think that mrs weasley would buy that harry someone known to live with muggles someone that they've been worried about just showed up in the middle of the night by himself <laughs> Yeah. Really a stupid plan. Yeah. yeah. How stupid do they think Mrs. Weasley is? Yeah. And knowing Mrs. Weasley, the first instance you see her in this book, you know that she's not stupid at yes. all. Yes. Raising six boys and one girl has made sure that she's on top of everything, I think. Yeah. I don't know how these boys could underestimate their mother. Yeah. But then she's standing there, she knows perfectly well what happened. <laughs> uh, and she is like advancing towards them like a saber tooth tiger i love the description it just goes to show that jk rowling and my mother they are mothers are basically clones or maybe <laughs> offshoots of one mom universal mom because it's pretty much what i think of my mom as well when normally she looks very chilled out and very easy going and stuff but when she gets angry <laughs> saber tooth tiger even the way that she's described right that she starts off in a deadly whisper Yeah. Scary. and it it actually is really scary i definitely think that if you want to threaten someone or make someone scared you should start you should lower your voice rather than mm. raise it because people understand that you are angry and you have a control on mm. your anger which makes it 10x more scarier than when your anger has overtaken the rest of your emotions and you're yelling <laughs> i thought it was really funny that ashia advances towards the beasley boys though they are like all of them are taller than her but they are like covering with fear and when <laughs> She finishes yelling at her own children and turns towards Harry and Harry actually takes a step back off out of fear and then she's like I'm very pleased to see you Harry dear she said come in and have some breakfast I like the movie actor uh, who plays Mrs Weasley but I didn't like how she did that particular scene mm. where she's yelling at the kids because a the kids are doing a pretty good job at appearing to be scared but she's not very scary it's played more for comic effect rather than mm. showing us that she actually is angry whereas in the book it's clear that it is, she is angry because she brings it up later with Mr Weasley also she yeah. yells at him whereas in the movie it's just it's a very quick thing that happens and she doesn't even yell that much yeah. she doesn't even raise her voice a lot It's more like she's a mom she has to say those things she said those things yeah. now let's make breakfast so that's the thing i think movie turned her into a very stereotypical mom mm. except there's a little more nuance in the book yeah she's not just like oh the nice mother who will make breakfast and who will her act kids like are she's scared of her act like she's angry when things go wrong no but she, she even in this chapter we see a lot of her strength coming out but later on we know that she's a very very strong person i know that she keeps feeding people even in this there are there are multiple feasts and she keeps feeding harry because she really likes him and she feels bad that he doesn't have a parent or anyone to take care of him yeah anyone to take care of him and 
on top of that whoever is supposed to take care of him is not taking care of him is mistreating him yeah because it's immediately clear the difference between the way the weasleys work as a family and the way that the dursleys have been mm. treating harry right mm. when harry gets punished at the dursleys they immediately cut down the food they don't let him out of his room they actually install a cat flap on his door to yeah. wheel in food whereas here mrs weasley is really angry because they stole a car drove it in the middle of the night they risked being dangerous. seen yeah. their father could have lost his job but that doesn't stop her from feeding her kids mm. she punishes them by giving them an activity they don't want to do but she still loves them yeah it's clear that her love overcomes even her anger she is not showing any kind of anger towards harry i love that on the day before they leave to hogwarts she makes a feast with all of harry's favorite yeah things. to have the capacity to love someone on top of of your seven kids that's amazing she's a great mom yeah seriously i mean she's a great person she is yeah and it goes to show that you don't really know need to know a person to love them and to think that they're actually so poor yet yes. she is doing this it's amazing yeah i mean i thought she was pretty great even in the first book when ron writes to her that harry probably won't receive christmas presents so she sends harry a present yeah. but this is just the extra then they all go into the house and harry has never been a magical, magical house before and, and there it's are really so interesting cool things yeah. for harry to see i mean there's a clock The clock on the wall opposite him had only one hand and no numbers at all. Written around the edge were things like time to make tea, time to feed the chickens and you're late. Clearly this is not a mass produced clock because yes. it's very customized for the Weasleys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pan that's being automatically scrubbed in the sink which I think is pretty great and is something I want. Really. <laughs> And then there is a mirror that basically critiques you. <laughs> yes. I would love to have that mirror. Seriously. Yeah. A mirror that tells you if like you look presentable is great. <laughs> so then they finish eating and Mrs. Weasley is still fuming, but then she is she comes down a bit after Ron tells and her that the Dursleys were starving him. And then they put bars on his window. So Mrs. Weasley figures out okay, you know the deed is done. They haven't been seen. Let's punish them anyway. <laughs> and she sets them to denoming the garden. Harry is like, I'm not feeling sleepy at all and I'm going to hit them. Yes. He thinks this is really interesting. And obviously it is. It is pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, before I read this part, this particular time around, I actually thought that gnomes were beehive. So I was very impressed when Ron picked up a gnome and like lassoed it around his head and <laughs> threw it. Because I was like, that is half your size and you picked it up. <laughs> it wasn't until I saw an illustration on Pottermore. which illustrates this whole denoming thing that i realized the actual like size of the gnomes hmm. so when it comes to books that make you imagine a lot the first time fatigue sets in i think it is more like an imagination inertia <laughs> like the first time you read it mm. you have something in your mind mm. and sometimes it's not true you just like collect little bits of information and create a something in your head but it's not even the right information so once you have that in your mind and then when you read it again and you see something else and you f- figure out that it's not the right thing it's hard for you to go back and exchange it based on the description you would actually know that it's very it, they are tiny creatures yeah <laughs> but the first time you read it you probably thought they were knee high and then that's all yeah you won't really change your mind after yeah i like i automatically skipped over that part i'd be like no yes let's get to the interesting part then yeah. they're throwing one bite harry on the finger and he shakes it off <laughs> yeah you you really think like you're reading it again and again but it's mostly you having using the book as triggers to 
you are live it in your head again yeah it's your you're just triggering your imagination that's all fair enough i did not think that there were such thing as gnomes in 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 the muggle world in our world but looks like they are garden gnomes yeah garden statues yes basically even when harry says it in the book i did not believe it because how can there possibly be a creature in, in a garden that can talk <laughs> and, and i think we'll feel really weird about killing pests yeah if they can talk yeah Or because the first you... thing that occurred to me when uh, i read about the denoming the stem was why did they have to denome the garden i mean we regularly live with pests in the garden right and then i read up a little bit about on pottermore and it turns out a they tend to bite so i completely understand b they dig up and eat roots of plants and leave little heaps of earth everywhere like moles <laughs> so i can understand why people want to get rid of mole of gnomes but in the muggle world our solution for any kind of pest is to put out poison and kill them yeah so it's nice that the wizards are a little bit more humane about it maybe it's because they can talk it maybe it's because they can talk or maybe it's because they don't bring deadly diseases with them it could be but i also wonder why they didn't use a magical solution mm-hmm. like they could give them like a potion that confuses them so they can't find their way back or uh, they can ward the garden off so that it can't like dig its way in or something i'm sure that the adults in the family can use a magical way to get rid of them but, but maybe she just wants a chore yeah for she wants to punish the children and also she wants them to learn what hard work is i guess that's what pads do right no definitely it builds character yeah <laughs> <laughs> mr weasley arrives just as they finish denoming and the kids immediately decide to like hurry in and chat with him hmm. it's clear from the beginning that all of his kids love mr weasley a lot right and it's just fond of him yeah and it just goes to show that he's a great parent because even when they're talking about his shortcomings they're very affectionate about it mm-hmm. like when they talk about how you know the gnomes keep coming back because dad's really soft yeah <laughs> on them it's clear that yes they have to keep repeatedly denoming the garden and i think i would be really angry if you know i had to do this on a weekly basis and the only reason the gnomes keep coming back is because my father is too soft to them i'd be pretty mad about it but they clearly love their dad I'm not sure about them having to do most of the chores but I can understand that a person who is barely in the house being affectionate towards pests that really <laughs> annoy the people in the house all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can too. But Mr. Weasley sounds like a pretty great dad. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Because he's even very, if, again just like Mrs. Weasley, he's a good person. And it's also clear that he's not the disciplinarian disciplinarian in the family exactly. because when Mrs. Weasley says uh, your sons flew that car to Harry's house and back last night shouted Mrs. Weasley what have you got to say about that eh his first reaction is excitement he's like so it worked how did it go <laughs> and then only he when Mrs. Weasley swells like a frog that's when he realizes that he should be scolding them and he immediately goes that's really bad boys really really bad yeah <laughs> and we it goes to show that mrs weasley has to discipline her own husband also yes on top of all her kids <laughs> yes so remember in the first episode we spoke a lot about how jk rowling might not be right describing people as fat all the time but based on what's described about mrs weasley in these chapters and in the future chapters we know that she is also a large woman and plump is what the, is plump the, yeah and she never gets described as fat ever not at least by the narrator of this series i think that's really interesting because jk rowling is taking a stand by being mean towards her negative characters that's true because she takes great pains to describe dudley 
as fat even when it's not really necessary like Dudley hitched up his trousers which was slipping down his fat bottom after mentioning that Mrs Weasley is plump it literally never comes up again yeah i mean it she never says in... that her cloak was like so voluminous that it could have held five children in there or anything like that yeah i i don't know if i like it or dislike it but she really wants us to like certain aspects of the Weasley family and she wants us to dislike dislike the Dursleys but is that the right way to do it i don't know there are plenty of things to make fun of about dudley that him being fat shouldn't necessarily be one of the things that she uses in that case you cannot even describe anybody as stupid no she can describe him as stupid all she wants but she needn't bring in his appearance no i don't think we can have double standards here like if you think if we think that describing someone's mental ability is okay mm. then describing someone's appearance should also be okay i guess i don't like jokes about yeah me neither it's just that i hate it when people make fun of other people based on their appearance, appearance. that's because of our personal experiences rather than what is right that's true i think we we can be a little biased mm. either it should be all right or it should be all wrong right yes <laughs> the way jk rowling has done it it does make us love the weasleys more than the dursleys i don't know what that tells about us <laughs> honestly i've read mrs weasley's description a lot but it's never registered with me that she's plump it never comes up again all it i really comes remember- up a little bit let's leave them to it ron muttered to harry as mrs weasley swelled like a bullfrog a bullfrog is big <laughs> she wants us to imagine the right things more than she wants us to hate them i guess but speaking of appearances i actually am not a big fan of the actor who plays mr weasley in the movies because i feel like he doesn't display the my favorite characteristics of mr weasley the the geeky excited parts of him pretty well like when he says tell me about a rubber duck It's just, I imagine that interaction very differently in my head. Yeah. This whole friendly, twinkly demeanor, it just doesn't come across well in the movie to me at all. In the movie, the actor sounds a little sarcastic. It's like, what yes. is this rubber duck? Yes. Oh, a, a lot, actually. And mm. it feels like he's making fun of that scene. Yeah. Whereas you're supposed to be, oh, that's kind of cute the way he's excited <laughs> about, you know, muggle stuff. Yeah. Right? Because there are several instances... in these chapters we read upon for this particular episode where mr weasley gets excited about muggle things when he meets hermione's parents when he hears that harry took the underground to go to diagon alley mm-hmm. and he's like escapaders <laughs> how do they work yes it's really cute when i read it in the book whereas but whereas in the movie mr weasley just doesn't give off the right vibes to me yeah i agree So then I mean Mrs Weasley starts yelling at Mr Weasley because he used magic to make the car fly and all that and he very cleverly tries to explain it with the loophole that since he had no intention of flying the car it's okay that he tinkered with it to see if it could fly <laughs> a loophole that he put in himself when he wrote the law <laughs> yeah so Ron wants to take Harry away from all this yelling situation back to his room turns out all of the Weasley children have their own rooms right Fred and George share a room but everybody else has their own room. So I've always been fascinated by the western idea of being poor. <laughs> that everybody has their own room. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> even I think like in movies that I've seen, hmm? people have their own rooms even when they can't pay for electricity. I don't understand how this works because in India if you're poor it means you're sharing the room <laughs> with your whole family. <laughs> no, I think also a lot of movies don't do a great job at showing poor 
because when they say poor they probably means that they can't go shopping on like fifth avenue of I don't know how can all movies be that be that Not bad. all movies mm. but a lot of movies I don't think do a very good job of showing poor mm. so that might be why we get that impression also poor in india is very different from poor mm. in the us no i have not doubt about it it's just that if you have your own room you can call yourself a middle class person <laughs> seriously <laughs> I love how nervous also Ron gets about his yeah. room. He's like, I know this is a lot smaller than you had at the Dursleys, which gave me a lot to think about because Harry's room is the smallest bedroom mm. in Privet Drive, right? It's the room where Dudley stores his like stuff, mm. which, which means Dudley's room is much bigger, yeah. and Uncle Vernon and Petunia's room is even bigger, bigger than yeah. that. Yeah. So it really puts maybe that's the poor part that Ron's room is so small. Yeah, it really is a first world problem. Yes, <laughs> and I think. all the kids have their own all the kids living in the house have their own rooms mm. so that's four kids five kids so probably when bill and charlie moved out the the sharing situation split up like maybe mm. ron and ginny were sharing a room when they were like very young mm. and then ron and ginny probably not there are so many brothers why would they share it with sister i don't know ron and percy maybe yeah. were sharing a room yeah i think ginny was lucky that way yes <laughs> yeah she probably had her own room all along yeah I thought it was really cute how nervous Ron was when he brought Harry to his room. It's like Ron is bringing his girlfriend to his room for the first time, and he wants. And I don't uh, know what Ron was so nervous about because his room sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's completely covered in posters of his favorite Quidditch team, the Chudley Cannons. He has so many fascinating things lying around: the comic books, the adventures of Martin Mix, the Mad Muggle, <laughs> and Frog Spawn, and self-shuffling playing cards. Mm-hmm. I want self-shuffling playing cards. It sounds so cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It's cool for a person who is not familiar with magical things. things yeah, right. as for a person like Harry, it's really cute how shy Ginny is around Harry. I mean, the first time she sees him, she squeals and runs away, <laughs> and, and Ron, she's hiding. Yeah. I mean, she's peering through her door to see if he'll walk by. <laughs> Ron says that she's been talking about uh, Harry nonstop the whole summer, and it makes me really curious. Like, what will a ten-year-old Girl, talk about eleven-year-old boy who sh- she has barely spoken to. I think it's more of a case of she saw a cute eleven-year-old boy that she's known all her life, known in the sense that he's a celebrity and how we know celebrities. And she, and then he becomes her brother's best friend. <laughs> so she probably was just bugging Ron all summer with questions of, is Harry like this or is Harry like that? She was probably eavesdropping on all conversations about Harry. If Ron was writing Harry a letter, she's probably like peering over <laughs> his shoulder and being like. What are you writing to Harry? <laughs> Sounds like you've thought about this a lot. I've never been in a particular kind of situation, but I imagine that's how it. You've never been in a situation where you had a crush. I've never been in a situation where I was spying on my brother's friend. Yes. Ah, <laughs> huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but Harry, grinning widely, said, "This is the best house I've ever been in." Harry is really content on seeing the barrow, and he also feels slightly jealous. later on about the kind of life ron has and which is very understandable it's also really sad in a way because harry is little bit taken aback by how much everybody seems to actually like him what harry found most unusual about life at ron's however wasn't the talking mirror or the clanking ghoul it was the fact that everybody there seemed to like him 
Mrs. Weasley fussed over the state of his socks and tried to force him to eat fourth helpings at every meal. Mr. Weasley liked Harry to sit next to him at the dinner table so that he could bombard him with questions about life with muggles, asking him to explain how things like plugs and the postal service worked. So he, he loves the fact that he's actually welcome there and liked, even at Hogwarts, he, he belonged there. But it wasn't a situation where everywhere he went, he was liked, right? All he had to really do was look across the hall at Malfoy to know that that's not the case. Yeah. Just like uh, Hogwarts, the burrow is also really chaotic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they think that little explosions coming out of Red and George's room is perfectly normal. Yes. <laughs> that's the funniest thing. <laughs> I love how progressively as this chapter moves on, there are multiple instances where they show how, how foolish Ginny behaves around Harry. She turns like bright red. And she then, knocks over her porridge bowl, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Harry asks her if, if she's starting How was school, it? she puts her elbow in the butter dish. <laughs> I don't have to have a crush to be awkward, really. No, I, I can be awkward any time of the year. You'd be awkward with crushes, but usually they're in situations where you're at least slightly prepared to see them. Imagine if your crush was in your house when you're eating like breakfast <laughs> I would be plenty awkward then. <laughs> I don't know. What's a crush for a 10-year-old? A crush. I don't know. You blush a lot and you want to talk to them. I think that's a crush for a 10-year-old. But based on what we know about Ginny later on, you can see that this is very unlike her, right? Yeah. Even her own brothers think that. There are like naturally awkward people. like Quite like Bella. I stumble on things that are non-existent on a <laughs> pretty clear floors. But Ginny is not like that. She's actually... She grew up with six brothers and she's used to being around men. She's used to like playing with them and she is particularly, she's smart also. To be in a position where your character changes completely because of someone else in the house. I mean, it's it's sadder than it's cute. I think it must be doubly hard for Ginny because I don't think she wanted to consciously be like this. So exactly. It's like happening to her and I'm sure her brothers are making fun of her like crazy when <laughs> Harry is not there. Right, like so, must be yeah. really hard for Ginny. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about how Dumbledore knows that Harry is in the burrow. I know, right? So the Hogwarts letters arrive, and when Mr. Weasley hands out Harry's letter to him, he says that nothing escapes Dumbledore, he's a smart man, because yeah. he already knows that you're here, Harry. My only question is. Does Dumbledore really know that Harry's at the burrow? Yeah. Who actually writes these letters? Not Dumbledore. Yes. I feel like there's probably like some kind of spell that makes sure that any student's location is automatically updated. It works like an algorithm where it like takes the address and it takes the student's name, puts it together in a letter, probably writes it out itself and then like Minerva McGonagall signs it or something. That is how... You think it would work. And we spoke about all posts before. Oh, even with Harry receiving his first Hogwarts letter, no matter where he moves in the house... The address changes. Address changes. Obviously, it's not because someone's like standing there tracking him. Yeah. Or it's, maybe it's an omnipotent tracking thing. Maybe it's like a system tracking you. It's like Google tracking you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little more powerful than that. Yeah. No, it That's just goes to show that... You know that Arthur C. Clarke quote about how any sufficiently advanced technology that you don't understand is indistinguishable from magic. Hmm. This basically goes to show that 
that back in the 90s itself the magical world had like real life real time tracking systems enabled and we didn't understand it then and we called it magic but now <laughs> google's doing it and everybody's like oh yeah it's completely revolutionary in no, that's not case, harry potter had it <laughs> yeah so yeah that was a pretty dumb thing to say really <laughs> i think i don't know where jk rowling was, go- was going with that me neither i think she just wanted to be like dumbledore smart <laughs> <laughs> we haven't spoken about Dumbledore for a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of my questions with respect to the book list is why can't they buy the books and share? How can they share? They no. all need to go to classes separately, no? Yeah, but they don't have classes at the same time, right? I think it would be really hard for them. And moreover, it's not always that you get assigned like seven books written by the same author. That's I true. don't think they'll have to buy these many books year on year. That's true. This time they're buying it because the stupid author wants to sell his books <laughs> to Hogwarts students. Yeah, I guess. Mm. This comes on later on in this chapter also when they're at Flourish and Blots that Ginny has a battered second-hand copy of A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration which is what Harry had in his first year as well. So why couldn't Ginny just use Ron's old copy of A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration? Why did she have to get her own copy? I don't know. Or maybe these are essential spell books that everybody collects and keeps around like maybe, yeah. it's a personal copy that yeah. you can refer to type. For us going to school, sharing textbooks is not new. It's it's not considered weird in Indian society for you to like pass on textbooks or like share textbooks or anything like that. Like I said, I think their idea of poor is very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Pompus Percy comes in. He's wearing his prefect badge. So that just means Percy got got his results way before the rest of them received their Hogwarts letters, right? Because Fred and George say that he has twelve order bills, yeah, yeah. but he didn't. He didn't bloat. Yes. <laughs> also, why is he wearing his prefect badge around the house? Yeah. Show off much? Percy, just like Ron, feels overshadowed by his brothers. That's what I think. He is overshadowed because his brother Bill is was a head boy before him. and his brother charlie was a quidditch captain fred and george are like the troublemakers in chief so there are like very few avenues where he can actually shine better than his brothers and i think his way of doing it would be like to seek authority and going after that going after power is making him really stupid and pompous <laughs> and to like constantly reaffirm that he is better than his family he is trying to stand out by becoming better than everybody else in terms of power like yeah. he wants to be a prefect he wants to be a head boy but he also wants to be a minister of magic when they talk about buying the books and all that harry thinks about his small fortune that he has in at gringotts and he thinks that the dursleys don't know about it but if they know they probably treated very differently than they treat any other magical things but i think it's unfair mm-hmm. because the dursleys never come across as someone who are greedy they never say that they're spending money on harry you know that harry is yeah. costing them money yeah they never say that besides if they wanted to make money out of harry they could have like been like look at this freak he can do magic he's a magician or they could have forced harry to take up part time jobs around the neighborhood like go mow their, their lawn <laughs> there are many flaws that the dursleys have but greed is not one of the things that they really display like gluttony yes but not greed so i i don't know i don't know if it was fair of harry to think that they might steal his money we don't know because i don't think harry's fortune ever gets revealed to the dursleys yeah 
And Mrs. Weasley is like really worried because Harry's never used flu powder and she's like, what would we tell your uncle and aunt? What do you mean his uncle and aunt? Try Dumbledore. <laughs> what would you tell Dumbledore if you lost Harry? <laughs> or the whole magical community. Yes. <laughs> we lost Harry up a chimney. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks Dudley would find it really funny. It is really funny until you think about like being stuck caught, in a chimney. Stuck in a chimney, all the claustrophobia. Yeah, and like, I can't imagine it. Yeah. I think we are taking everything a little too seriously though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when Harry tries the flu powder, mm-hmm. he is really confused by the sheer number of instructions that the Weasleys are giving him. Now, when you get into the fire, say where you're going and keep your elbows tucked in, Ron advised. And your eyes shut, said Mrs. Weasley. The soot, don't fidget, said Ron, or you might well fall out of the wrong fireplace. But don't panic and get out too early. Wait until you see Fred and George. And he feels really uncomfortable, it feels hot, and he knocks his elbow, and he he may have mispronounced Diagon Alley, and everything is awarded is going wrong for him. Yeah. And he ends up in Nocturne Alley. And once he gets out, it is very clear that it's a part of the magical world that he's never seen before. So, before we move on to the next section... Let's get into our Harry Potter story segment. This time we have a very interesting story from a podcast listener called Murli Dar Mutnuru. I think. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrongly. Uh, let's listen to it. My Harry Potter story is weird and rather lame. Uh, I think it was in the year 2001 when I first saw the book being mentioned in the Hindu's Young World. Didn't pay much attention to it that time as I was an avid reader of the comics, particularly Tinkle and uh, Amar Chitrakatha and never really had any interest in books. Incidentally, a week after that, I happened to spot the book in a library. Uh, Flipping through the pages, I found it weird. How can a book uh, that fat not have photographs or sketches inside? And I just tossed it aside. Cut to year 2003, uh, my interest with Harry Potter began a second time. A girl from my class, whom I had a teeny tiny crush on, invited me to watch the Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets movie. Uh, The idiot I was and unable to deny, I went ahead and watched the movie. Uh, Naturally, I could not comprehend any of it and uh, my overall impression was that it's a dramatized fairy tale. Um, although I did fall in love with Emma Watson. Um, sometime later, Scholastic held a small discounted book sale in our school. I decided I wanted the book, not only because it was so famous by then and everyone praised it so much, but also because I figured that I needed to know and understand the story before I watched Emma Watson on screen again. The book wasn't cheap. I distinctly remember it being INR 630, but somehow I convinced my mother to buy it, and so the journey started. Uh, The Philosopher's Stone was a breakthrough book for me, as it also kindled my interest in reading and turned me into a voracious reader in a year's span. I read about four chapters from book one, and I was hooked. It was like a creative explosion in my head. I never dreamt that such a world could exist, even on paper. And since that day, I have read and reread countless times now. Um, I finished reading the first four books in one week and then the long wait. 
After coming to the US, I was amazed to learn that some universities here and in Europe actually have a Quidditch team. Uh, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but I was stunned. The team is made up of seven athletes who run around with brooms between their legs all the time. Sounds fun, right? Uh, anyway, so yes, that's my Harry Potter story. And even after all this time, Potterhead always. Remember how in a previous episode I said that the common element in a lot of the stories we've received so far is that people usually dismiss it first as a popular phenomenon and then fall in love with it. I think the common element is that most people think their story is lame. They start off with, this is probably a lame story, but <laughs> it's not a lame story at all. And I love that he described it as a creative explosion because for a lot of people who don't read fantasy a lot, when they first come across Harry Potter, which is like mild, there's mild fantasy, it's like it eases you into the fantastic world. And for people who are used to reading it, this might not seem like a big deal, but for people who are not, it does feel like a creative explosion. Like you, your imagination just like expands. I mean, Harry Potter is a example for what some fantasy fans call low fantasy mm-hmm. literature in that Harry Potter is set in the real world but with fantasy elements. So London exists in the form that we know it but it's just J.K. Rowling has taken something we already know and added layers to it so that it becomes a little bit more believable because there are things you know and there's your ex- imagination only has to extend a little bit more. Whereas if you start from like universes somewhere else far far away it's difficult to catch yeah. on. And even in this chapter, Mr. Malfoy says how muggles find a way to explain away magic even if it's like right in front of them. That's very interesting because we are supposed to think that magic is all around us. Like when we, when we can't find a key, it's probably because it's a prank played by some magical people. <laughs> and that makes it more believable. It's like it's like a ghost story, right? You are scared of them because it feels like it can be around you and you wouldn't know. <laughs> When Muralidhar sent the story to us, he sent us this really sweet email and he told us that he is our biggest fan. Yes. And uh, I remembered Phoebe's dialogue from Friends. Oh, you're my biggest fan? I've always wanted to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Muralidhar, for sharing your story with us. If you'd like to share your Harry Potter story with us, record yourself on your phone and send the recording to mimblemimblepodcast at gmail.com. So now, let's get back to the episode. Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, he got gingerly to his feet, holding his broken glasses up to his eyes. He was quite alone, but where he was, he had no idea. Like a lot of things that he's never seen before about the magical world and it looks like really sinister. Mm. And then he decides to like step outside and try to find his way. Uh, to Diagon Alley when he sees the, the worst person he can see when he's in uh, when he's lost and confused yeah lost and confused with like ash all over him and his glasses, glasses. Yeah. yeah Malfoy and his father they come into the shop Mr. Borgin the shop owner greets them and I love the way J.K. Rowling has described him a stooping man had appeared behind the counter smoothing his greasy hair back from his face Mr. Malfoy what a pleasure to see you again said Mr. Borgin in a voice as oily as his hair. Reading that conversation, you get this feeling that not all parts of the magical world is something that's very appealing. You don't want to live in Nocturne Alley, right? But you do want to live in Hogwarts or Diagon Alley. It's it's an interesting part. Everything has a dark side. Yeah, it's true. I also found this conversation particularly illuminating. Not just the conversation between Mr. 
Malfoy and Mr. Borgin, but also the conversation between Draco Malfoy and his father, illuminating because it immediately shows us what Mr. Malfoy is like. Mm. He's a much smarter Draco Malfoy, which mm. isn't surprising because he's his father. <laughs> but also, but the way he works, when Draco complains and whines about Harry having a broomstick and how he got special dispensation to play, what most parents would have done would be to say, "Don't whine." Or, or more like I know Harry Potter is the worst. No, or that's what friends would say. <laughs> what parents would be is that you know you'd have those things if you'd worked hard for them. They would have basically been like uh, talking crap about other people will get you nowhere, hmm. right? You should you you should work on your skills hmm. or something along. They'll try to turn it into a character building lesson for you. Hmm. What Mister Malfoy says is not that Malfoy shouldn't complain. So he says you shouldn't do it. in a place where people can hear you and know how you feel about mm. Harry Potter Harry Potter who is so well liked by most of the visiting world it doesn't yeah. do to be saying bad things about someone that everybody likes yeah. you should always leave people guessing at how you feel about mm. situations and it's it's immediately clear that he's a politician that he knows how to play people and leave everybody guessing yeah and i really liked the contrast between mr malfoy and mm-hmm. mr dursley one and dursley because they are both kind of similar in that they pamper their kids but the dursleys are very their child is the only thing that's true in the world and whatever the child does is so cute and so good and all that but i think mr malfoy is very aware of the shortcomings of his child yeah yet he gives him the freedom and all the everything he wants yeah he he he's ready to buy him a racing broom mm. but he also knows that harry is probably a better quidditch player than yeah him. and he also knows enough about his child to know that he's not the top in his year he knows who's the top yeah. in his year also it's clear that he's taken an interest in yeah. what draco so is doing so that was really surprising to me he's a bad person but he's not a totally bad father yeah he really cares about what malfoy is doing at school he really cares enough to at least give a pass on his shitty ideals to his own <laughs> kid <laughs> yeah and what he says is actually pretty true that hermione granger should have been at a natural disadvantage coming to hogwarts because she comes from a family with no magic and everything is not so new to her she has to come here and start from scratch trying to figure out things that people like malfoy have taken for granted for years mm. and she's able to beat malfoy yeah i really give a lot of credit to a uh, credit to malfoy for saying this because fred of bodgen he acts differently mm. he is like when bodgen's like this is what what is happening to visiting people uh, magical people everywhere like the the muggle bonds are taking over the world kind of conversation happens with uh, mr bodgen but i think privately he gives a lot of credit to hermione yeah like you said he's an expert politician even he if, if he thinks of good things about hermione granger he's not likely to come across as a person who would support muggle bonds because he doesn't want to be unpopular with those kind of people yeah like the really powerful visiting people who who look down upon muggle bonds i don't know actually based on what he says later on in the books about muggle bonds and about hermione's parents and stuff like that doesn't really seem like he likes muggle bonds but the way he chastises malfoy draco in this particular chapter doesn't sound like he holds anything against her for being muggle born either no it's keeping up appearances because when he talks to mr weasley about his values mm-hmm. again he's surrounded by people and he wants to come across as a person who stands up for visiting blood it could be it could be his idea too no no doubt about it but i like that he's acknowledging the other side yeah he's acknowledging that the other side can be good 
he's not like all the muggle bonds are like idiots and they are the worst thing that can happen because they only cause problems he's like they are talented too but i don't want them yes he's not a sore loser <laughs> like draco <laughs> yeah and you can see draco with his father it's clear he wants to be his father but that he has years to go to catch yeah. up yeah the really interesting part about malfoy's exchange with mr borgin is the reason that he's there it's because he wants to sell a few things in his possession because the ministry started raiding homes lo- looking for dark artifacts and anything that could be illegal illegal and mr weasley is behind most of these raids and he wants to get rid of anything that might make him look like he's up to something mm-hmm. he's up to no good mm-hmm. and mr borgin is predictably not very happy about this because he wants to sell stuff and <laughs> not uh, buy things one question mm. one raid at the in the nocturne alley and most of the dark artifacts would be like here right here in in mr borgin's shop right i think mr borgin would have cleverly hid all the things that could get him into trouble and just kept the things that don't necessarily get him into trouble in the open mm. yeah and i think the same law that mr weasley talks about you can possess something and not have an intention to use it so even mm. the cursed necklace or the hanging noose that killed 19 of its previous owners or something mm. it you could be like i'm keeping it because i am interested in the history behind this mm. at <laughs> silk skate by on that yeah <laughs> once the malfoys leave mr borgin also goes back into his back room mm. so harry is able to make his escape mm. and he discovers that he's in nocturne alley and he's being cornered by this old woman who looks like she's selling fingernails Thankfully, i think all these artifacts are just like for the weird people like who like to collect stuff like yeah. collecting stamps i guess thankfully harry is saved from all this by hagrid who's also the nocturne alley interestingly he says he is there to buy flesh eating slug repellent yeah who have been getting into the cabbages yeah <laughs> something yeah and he saves harry and he's like what the hell are you doing down there and harry's like what the hell are you doing down there <laughs> <laughs> and hagrid quickly removes harry from nocturne alley and carries him over to gringotts where the weasleys have been frantically looking for him and finally we get to see hermione mm-hmm. there the parents and he reunites with weasleys and fred and george are really impressed by harry because he has been to the nocturne alley now both mrs weasley and hagrid are like that's not a place you should ever dream of visiting <laughs> <laughs> i think fred and george are being all like cool about it but i don't think they would like it in nocturne alley at all i think they just want to go there because it's been forbidden yeah exactly while hermione and her parents are exchanging muggle money for galleons and sigils and nuts and whatever harry and the weasleys leave to go to their vaults to pick up money this part is particularly difficult for harry because when he enjoys the breakneck ride on the carts like he did the last time and this time there's no hagrid to get sick also which means he gets to enjoy it even more but when he they end up at the weasley's vault it's completely empty there's like one galleon and a pile of sickles yeah that mrs weasley sweeps up in her bag and she like looks around the vault to see if there's anything like hiding somewhere mm-hmm. and but he has like a mini fortune mm-hmm. which he tries to block from you even as he quickly scoops things mm-hmm. up into a bag so then they get back and harry stops feeling guilty and like starts buying ice creams yeah he does he buys uh, three giant ice creams for him Yeah. I mean for Ron Hermione and himself and they like yeah. cheerfully walk down the diagonally looking at things buying things they find Percy in an old bookshop and he's reading a book called Prefects Who Gained Power mm. 
hint hint we will talk about this at the end of the book <laughs> yeah and then they go to they meet the rest of the gang and flourish and blots flourish and blots seems to be like too crowded that day because gilderoy lockhart the author of the pest book and the author of all the books that they were supposed to buy is in the shop he's signing his new book his autobiography which also happens to have an alliterative title magical me <laughs> yeah every all of his books have alliterative titles voyages with vampires holiday Gad- with hags yeah. gadding with ghouls yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah travels with trolls yeah <laughs> <laughs> so they go in and uh, they see this ridiculously good looking person standing there in front of everybody and we get to meet this a very interesting character he's the most colorful unlikable character i've ever read in a book and that's amazing because these are people you see in real life but they don't get to be characters many times right yeah. like the simpering the 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 glory hogging almost immediately it's clear that he's faffing a lot mm. right like yeah like anybody who looks past the good looks will be able to figure out that that guy is he doesn't have a lot going on back yeah, there yeah <laughs> yeah or initially at least he is seen as someone who's talented because he's written all these books but then you can see that there's something negative about him the way he he behaves the way he thinks he's the center of the world and everything yeah. at this point i also like to call out that i absolutely love kenneth branagh's portrayal of gilroy lockhart yeah, he looks he's... like he's having so much fun in the role <laughs> did you know that it was originally to be played by hugh grant i think hugh grant would have done an excellent job as well <laughs> I'm mean, sorry I couldn't see that but I think Kenneth Branagh does a really good job also I mean, because Kenneth Branagh is actually blonde oh. Hugh Grant would have had to dye his hair <laughs> in so. the in the movies I think the scar- Gilderoy Lockhart not only looks good he's impeccably dressed yes I he is I love everything he wears yes and his hair beautiful <laughs> <laughs> in all the scuffle that happens Gilderoy Lockhart looks up and finds that Harry Potter is there and he immediately pulls him out of the crowd and he takes a picture with him what opportunity yeah and he's like together we make the front page <laughs> <laughs> so it's not immediately clear if you haven't read the book who's gliding on whose popularity there <laughs> yeah gilderoy lockhart makes an announcement because it seems to be the right time because harry potter is next to him he's like he's going to stop having all these adventures and like work in hogwarts for a while as a defense against the dark arts teacher also, because the previous defense against the dark arts teacher is mia yes. we just don't know what happened to him yeah is he dead <laughs> everybody assumes that but yeah, yeah. the very harry potter who's standing next to the new dark defense against the dark arts teacher is the reason that the previous <laughs> dada teacher doesn't exist anymore okay yeah i didn't think about it like that mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yeah harry is obviously embarrassed by this especially because he gets a new set of lockhart books for free mm-hmm. he like goes over to hand them to ginny and says you know what i'll just buy my own pair you keep them i don't want them yeah and then malfoy is like promptly there trying to taunt harry is like famous harry potter said Malfoy can't even go into a bookshop without making the front page it's like he forgot how to insult people over the summer <laughs> that's a really bad insult i don't think it's an insult i think it's like intense jealousy yeah <laughs> i don't know i wouldn't want to be on the front page with gilroy lockhart but whatever floats malfoy's boat <laughs> i guess things escalate very quickly yeah immediately it turns into an argument between mr malfoy and mr weasley what's the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it mr weasley flushed darker than either ron or ginny 
We have a very different idea of what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy, he said. I love this line because it describes basically every big divide between two groups of people. Ideological clashes. I, yeah. What feels like a disgrace for one group of people feels like, like basic humanity for the next. When something's like so inbuilt in your head, it's hard to like get over it and see things from the another person's point of view. It also makes me curious as to Mr. Weasley's upbringing that he's turned out like this, right? Mm. Right now, Malfoy, Mr. Malfoy stands for the old pure-blooded society. Mr. Weasley, who is also a pure-blood wizard from an old family, doesn't feel that way. In fact, yeah. he actively protects muggles and he's interested in them. It makes you wonder, like, what happened there? I'd actually be very interested in learning more about him. So, I think the whole society is on, uh, magical society is more on the side of Mr. Weasley than Mr. Malfoy. Uh, I think they're forced, being forced to be on Mr. Weasley's side. Like, Yeah, the change is happening and... <laughs> As with most change, there's a group that hates it and a group yeah, that is yeah. for it. The Weasley family is like completely for it. They're like vocal advocates for it. And there are people who are probably in the middle who are like, either way is fine. <laughs> and there are people who are extremely against it. Both sides have like influential people. And if you change your mind about it, you lose your influence. The values you hold kind of forms, helps you form a community. Mm. And if you lose the value, you lose the community. So then they get into a fight. Isn't it interesting that they get into a fist fight? Mm-hmm. They're both yeah. adult wizards, <laughs> but they get into a fist fight. They're both adult pure-blooded wizards, but it's a physical fist fight. <laughs> Mr. Weasley had a cut lip and Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye by an encyclopedia of toadstools. Yeah, they all leave and then they're like fuming and then they get back to their house. The holidays come to an end and Mrs. Weasley prepares a really good feast like we spoke about. They have a really good time. But the next day, when they wake up to go to Hogwarts to catch the train, it's like complete chaos. As happens with large groups of children. Yeah, yeah large groups. Of, it's like, uh, it's basically like home alone. Yes. When they leave. When yes. All the, I'm surprised they didn't leave a kid, kid behind. <laughs> when they actually leave, they are on time. But they have to come back thrice because people keep forgetting things. Mm-hmm. That includes... Um, Fred's broom, George's fireworks and Ginny's diary. So, by the time everybody like gets ready to go, it's really late. They reach King's Cross and they run to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Convenient for the plot, everybody goes in and Harry and Ron are the last people who are waiting outside the 9 and 3 quarters platform to get in. And it shuts off. They make a run for it like they did in the first book. Except their trolley crashes into the barrier and they both fall down. <laughs> and even like Hedwig falls off the cage I think and they just stranded there the wall just won't let them through yeah 11 o'clock when the train leaves leaves, comes and goes and they're still not able to get in they try like multiple times so yeah they're stranded so that brings us to the end of today's episode if you would like to discuss this episode with us drop a comment on our website mimblewimble.in you can also Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and you can talk about this episode with us there too. We'd love it if you do. (laughs) In the next episode, we will talk about events leading up to Ron going to Hermione's defense. That's chapter 5, The Whomping Willow, chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart. And we stop midway through chapter 7, Mudbloods and Moments. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Tuck your shirt in, Scruffy. 